right, guys. So today we have Steve Hall and Pascal Floor from Revive Stronger. What is up, guys? All good. Thank you. Us. Excited the, to be the on together. On the floor. <laughs> yeah, I've never had you guys on together, Steve. Obviously, yeah. a, a frequent guest, Pascal. I think it's been a little over a year since we've talked yeah. on, the, on the podcast. While, yeah. So good to have you guys back on. I saw you liked my uh, message at like four in the morning, Pascal. Is that when you get up? I think it was yeah. morning, like the <laughs> Germany time, at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, here recently, I don't know. It's it's weird because ever since I cut it down, I get up like very early in the morning, and then there was also the time change as well, so the clocks changed. Right. And having two kids at home, it's just like I got used to getting up that early yeah. in the morning. You know, <laughs> sometimes I go out on a walk and then record a voice message for Steve when it's like two or three a.m. for him. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's funny you mentioned in because I, I reached out to you guys about the improvement season. I think it was 151 that you guys had done. And one of the things that you had mentioned, Pascal, was how you always felt that you were busy. And then once you had kids, you're like, wow, like, you know, now it's just a completely <laughs> different mindset. Right. And I think a lot of us who have gone through certain periods that are really busy have experienced that. Like I look at certain periods for me where it's like, OK, it's in dental school, had a part time job, was actually still social, was working out still like four times a week doing other things. And I, at times I'm like, how, how was I even doing that? Like, it just sounds yeah. ridiculous to me. Um, especially now, like in, in the quarantine, honestly, I mean, I'm still doing stuff. I'm still like, I mean, I have scrubs all now. I'm going into the office after our podcast, but it's nowhere near as much. And yet it still feels like the day is filled up. I'm still like, well, I'm working out and then I see a patient or two and then I do podcast stuff. And then it's before I know it, it's like 10 PM. So like what happened? And it's like, when you're forced to do it, it's it's just interesting how much you can get done if you really need to. Yeah, absolutely. I had a time in my life where I was um, I was working on my self-employment, so transitioning over to online coaching. Uh, that was the time before. No, it was still uh, at the beginning of Revise Stronger um, when I was also building my side project, um, which is not there anymore because I was fully committed to Revive Stronger then after a while. Uh, still taking care of my own training, then also still having an office job of 30 hours per week, um, which I reduced to 30 hours instead of 40 hours. And then also visiting evening school as well. And there was only like half an hour between like uh, going from office work to then the evening school that I had available for myself. And I left the house at five in the morning and came back at 9 p.m. And that was my daily schedule for like five days out of the week for two years straight. And Jeez. now looking back at it, I'm just like, how <laughs> in the hell did I manage that? And on the weekends, I fully committed to actually build the, the self-employment, um, which was crazy. And now I'm looking back and be like, I, I could never do that again. Yeah. But at the same time, now I have other commitments I need to take care of. Whereas I would assume that in 10, 20 years when the kids are leaving the house, we look back and be like, how in the hell did we manage to do all of the I'm things sure. that, that, we do, that we were doing then? Um, it's uh, we, we always look back in hindsight and be like wondering about our achievements and the things that we've done. Isn't that correct? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely interesting. Um, so another reason I wanted to get you guys on is just because I wanted to talk about our favorite routine, uh, starting strength, right? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, <laughs> I did find your your take on it interesting, Pascal, not to even get into the program itself, but more your, uh, you know, somewhat of a, your philosophical musings on, you know, people's views and, you know, why does anybody care about that? And I think it's interesting when you 
are in this space. And I, I saw one of the commenters said how I think one of the reasons is that, you know, you are this persona now and people are going to take what you say somewhat of a, as an authority right over just like a random person. And obviously you see that even more with like celebrity fitness and, and you know, like Dr. Oz and, and crazy stuff like that. And it really is interesting because we are all, you know, we try to be reason and logic based, but at the end of the day, you know, most humans are very emotional decision makers. And it, sometimes it's, I mean, it, it can be a subconscious thing. You're not really noticing it, but the example I've often given is if you look at like 3DMJ, right, they don't allow you to pick who you work with, right? I think you guys are the same way. And most people are going to feel a connection more so to a certain person. So for me, if I was to be coached by 3DMJ, I would want Eric Helms because he is who I identify the most with. I feel like we have a more similar body type. He's very, you know, the science guy and all that stuff. But really, is he actually a better coach than maybe, you know, like Brad Loomis when they all work together anyway? And that's just like a small example. But another one is like Greg Doucette. You know, he's a little bit, he's not really in the evidence-based community, I guess, but he's somebody who's kind of blown up. And is he a better coach than he was a year ago? Probably not, right? I mean, he's been doing this for 20 years, but his demand for coaching has gone up. It's skyrocketed, you know, where he's able to charge so much and still have more and more people wanting it because you identify with it. And so it's interesting, this kind of appeal to authority we have, and not even necessarily an appeal to authority where it's, it's almost like it could be a false authority, right? In, in the case of you, Pascal, like you're obviously educated, but sometimes it is a false authority where somebody is just famous and, and we take what they say as gospel or we at least weight it more than like a random person. No, absolutely. And um, so when I, well, when we are on the Improvement Season podcast, then, um, go ahead, Steve. Uh, when we are on the Improvement Season podcast, for me, it's always like we are speaking our minds out loudly, so to speak. Yeah, this is we are two friends that are coming together that are recording this, and we are just like speaking freely, which sometimes I don't think that many people in the industry are doing so. And sometimes, of course, the things that we are saying aren't as always very well thought out sure. because we are not doing any kind of research before that, we are not planning things out, we don't have a script, and sometimes it's just like I say something, and then when I really think about it, I would maybe put it in a different way or rephrase that. And we all know that. Mm -hmm. right? We all had that conversation and maybe even fight with someone out on the street. And it was like, oh, I wish I would have said that. Yeah. yeah we all right, know right. that. Feeling, right? <laughs> and sometimes it's like you said, we are, we are not rational or logical beings. Sometimes emotional uh, emotions come into play and the things that we are saying is dictated by that as well. It would be lovely if we all were logical beings, but that's not the case. So when someone then uh, said like, okay, you are now a prominent figure to some extent and you need to take care of the things that you're saying out loudly publicly, I, I actually very much took it to heart because he had definitely a point and this is something that I need to come to terms with myself as well. But then at the same time, I'm, I'm just thinking about the sentence that he brought up like, okay, you need to actually watch out on what, what it is that you're saying. I am looking at this statement like from two perspectives. On one hand, I can totally see where he's coming from, especially because of the things that you brought up that people are looking to those authoritative figures 
and the uh, argument from authority is actually putting up to stake here and people put so much emphasis on the things that people are saying even though that they have no business in talking about it and we see right. it all the time with prominent figures out there why should an uh, should a, an actor for example talk about diets Right. Are they qualified in talking or, about that? Right. Yeah. For example, was someone like who is, I don't know, Cristiano Ronaldo, would he go out there and give you business advice or advice right. on <laughs> economics? Right. Yeah. That would be outside of his scope of practice, but people are still taking that for granted and listening to that individual. So I can totally see where this point is coming from. While at the same time, I think it's also refreshing to sometimes see what that people aren't per that these perfect beings sure. that and that's why we are also putting a lot of emphasis in those recordings about being transparent just talking about the, the things that we are thinking while once again there's this conflict of like okay do I want to be that figure who presents himself as that perfect individual who only gives out well thought advice or do I want to be a little bit more transparent and be like okay I, I don't know everything and that is absolutely fine sometimes I mess up sometimes I'm also saying inappropriate things as well uh, but then it's also very much important to take on board the criticism that is then being put towards you yeah, I think, um, you know, you, you guys kind of talked about that as well as like, you know, staying in one's lane and, you know, not going outside of your scope of practice. And it is interesting. I mean, I again, I guess it's just human nature. You're familiar with the term, the Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah. So for people who don't know, basically, that's the idea that in, in short, it's that you start to get some knowledge and you assume that you're an expert on the topic, right? You can get more into that. But basically, you know, and you see that obviously with fitness advice, like diet advice, really almost anything, you know, you get this level of knowledge where you could also even refer to like when people talk about conscience, um, incompetence, and then eventually when you go all to the point of being unconscious competence where you're just, you know, let's say you're playing piano, you know that you suck, then you know that you're good, and then eventually you're able to play without really even thinking about it, right? And when you're in that kind of like middle territory where you've been doing this for two years, I remember when I was in like eighth grade, I think, and I had been reading into like supplements and diet and everything for maybe like a year or two. Yeah. And I had a friend asking me about it. And like, I actually like stopped and said, oh, you know, I know a lot about this, right? Like I made a point <laughs> at like 13, 14 to be like, so, you know, I'm informed, right? And it just sounded so ridiculous. Or when I was a sophomore, in high school and wanting to take a routine to the football coach and thank god i didn't because i just would have looked like an idiot <laughs> but i wanted to like show him like oh this is the routine that the football team should be doing right and, and like it just you get this point where you just assume that you you know more than you do um <laughs> <laughs> what's up steve look at those calves <laughs> um, boy <laughs> no yeah absolutely <laughs> What's up, Steve? <laughs> Sorry about that. I no knew problem. this package would come at completely the wrong t like, you know, when they give you like a four-hour window. Yeah, right, it just right. Comes. <laughs> Sorry. We are, uh, we're discussing the Dunning-Kruger effect where basically, you know, people have some level of knowledge and they assume that, that they are an expert. And we, we see this all the time with celebrities or really just about anybody where they're maybe in something for a year or two, and now they assume that they are fit to be a coach or do anything. And we've all seen that, of course, with coaching. You know, I had a friend who she had been, you know, she was reasonably gifted. And she, after about six months of serious lifting, she had put in her profile. She was now a powerlifting coach. And I was just like, 
Oh. I just like even as a friend, I just like had to hate on her because <laughs> because it was, it was just crazy to see that kind of thing. Um, Dave, that's so funny that you actually bring that up because Steve and I were just talking about that today, today, yeah. um, over on WhatsApp because uh, a friend of ours, Mike uh, from Biceps and Banter, he he on his Instagram story, I think it was, he was talking about exactly that. So, and he brought up a couple of examples of different professions. So only because you were, I don't know, making a bread at home, you don't go out and opening up a store or becoming a baker now or mm -hmm. selling yourself right. as a baker. Same goes for, I don't know, fixing something at home, fixing your kitchen sink, for example. You don't go out and now from now on, only because you've done it once, you offer your your plummeting skills or anything alike, right? But apparently that's the case in the fitness industry. Only because yeah. you've accomplished something like getting lean once right. doesn't mean that you understand what coaching is, the fundamental principles behind that physiology, anatomy, all that kind of stuff. But so many people actually do that. They, 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 they've done it once, and now they think that they are credible enough to go out there and offer these kind of services. Right. And this kind of is so, so ironic that it only happens in the fitness industry, or at least that's where I'm aware of that. Maybe yeah. there's a different industry out there where it's happening as well. But in so many other occupations, you as a customer, you would never go to that plummeter and actually who only has fixed his own stuff at home, right? You would go to the, the the company that is very well experienced, has the knowledge, has the education to then fix your stuff. So uh, the responsibility is also at the customer to actually then gather that information to see whether that person is actually skilled to be a coach or not. I think it uh, probably does happen in other fields. You know, I think um, like financial advice to some degree anything on youtube basically yeah. you know just you have people who doling out advice at the very least maybe not doing you know they're not gonna work as an accountant for you just because they've done well with money but they might charge for their services as far as advice um but now even i brought this up in the podcast you know when i was first starting saying how it's very unregulated you know so like i'm going into the office later and i'm going to work on a patient and it's literally illegal for you to do that, if you haven't gone through all the steps to do it, oh. gotten licensed in the state, right? So I don't really have to worry about, you know, you can look up all you want about like oral anatomy and all that. You're really not like a risk to me, you know, or really anybody. Um, but with this, you don't have to have any credentials. You don't even have to have died it down. You could just say you did. You could just post up, you know, fake pictures or something and, and do that. And it is kind of amazing. And I almost... I almost get it because I think, Steve, you were maybe gone for this part, but I was saying how when I was young, like 13, 14 years old, I was actually reasonably informed. I mean, I had like as far as fitness stuff, I had read books already. I had talked to experienced people. Um, even I, I made a joke to with Pascal saying that I was almost thinking of going to my high school football coach and saying you should do this routine, which, of course, would have been ridiculous. But I will say that the routine that I was going to recommend was Bill Starr's routine, which was actually very popular among football players. And it probably would have actually been a good idea. But the idea of doing that as a 14-year-old who weighed like 130 yeah. pounds was obviously silly. Um, but even though I was informed, I still had this idea that I knew a lot more than I really did. And there's almost a danger that comes with that when, you know, we say, well, of course we can't have a doc somebody acting as a doctor if they haven't gone to medical school or gotten a license. But the reality is, 
that in fitness, you can do a lot of harm to somebody if you're telling Absolutely. them how to diet and they don't understand about having like a good relationship with food. They don't understand sustainability. They don't understand the psychology of any of this stuff. You you can really damage people. You know, eating disorders are a terrible thing and, and they're rampant in the fitness world. Um, so I think as much as you could just say, well, you know, you're just exercising. It's good. And as long as they're exercising, what's the point? They're healthier than they were before. That's great, you know, just like a, you could pretend to be a doctor and tell them to, you know, have a better diet or watch their cholesterol, but it doesn't mean that it's comprehensive and that you're not going to do damage in the process. It's a really tricky area, I think, because it's like you said, it's completely unregulated. And I, for me, it's quite new, like, and it's ever growing. Like, it was, it's just suddenly expanded massively because of Instagram. First, mm. I think there was only maybe some guys on YouTube that were promoting kind of online coaching. At least when I was first getting onto online coaching, it was all through, like, it was, like, YouTubers. It was, mm -hmm. like, 3DMJ, and then there was some, like, other people within the scene. There wasn't really anyone else doing it. And it's only, I think, literally, it's Instagram has just made it available to so many people. And... I think it's a matter of time until it's going to become regulated, but I don't even know how you do that within right, kind right. of this space. So uh, it, it's I, such a tricky thing. The, the thing is with the regulation, Steve, uh, it would be on a per country basis then. And that would be the problem with an online, mm. online business that is offering these kind of services online, right? And that, this is something that you can see where this conflict comes into play already with the taxes. Uh, something like VAT tax. It always depends on what type of service it is that you are offering or whether the customer is actually purchasing a product of yours, whether that is then actually being purchased in which country. So the regulations, I think, will definitely will definitely take a while before there even are some regulations, if there will be some regulations at all, because I think that each and every single country will be responsible to make those regulations or like in the EU, also in Europe, it would be the EU which need to come up and make some regulations. And I think it would be so super complicated to actually come up with those, right? And that ha is not saying that one country where there are regulations, that also then applies to other countries as well. Some countries may not have any kind of regulations and how is that then going to take place, right? So I think it's a very complex field simply because it's also such a new field in general. Even though that the internet has been around for quite a long time now, it's still kind of in its infancy, uh, infant shoes in many, many fields because so many new jobs have been founded due to that. I'd just like take something like an influencer. So many people make jokes and fun about that, whether it is a job or not, but people are making very good money off that, right? And it is fairly new. Like five years ago, the way an influencer is now being termed, uh, the term influencer, I don't think was even around like five years ago. Probably I think it was not, like yeah. YouTube or a vlogger or so, but influencers such as what we're seeing now with Instagram, hasn't been around. So I think also because it's so quickly changing and evolving all the time, regulations will become very, very hard to come by. Yeah, I think, I mean, honestly, even if like, if you look at medicine, people assume if my doctor's saying it, it's legitimate and there's no problems with it. But man, like even that is hard within a given country in person, it's hard to regulate. You know, I unfortunately yeah. had a patient recently who 
um, you know, is checking her, her prescription history and she was prescribed just massive amounts of opioids along with Xanax like every month for like 10 years. And it's a really unfortunate story. And it's not she's not the only one. Um, but I mean, literally, like I could look, I mean, we actually filed um, to the DEA about this doctor because it was just looking at this like this is malpractice. It was it was pretty oh. messed up. Um, but that's just one example. Again, this is somebody who's seen a doctor in the United States in person, right? So yeah. to try to regulate how, you know, John from the United States is going to work with a coach online in England. I, I mean, who's going to regulate that? You know, yeah. we're not going to have like, uh, like a global police <laughs> on that issue, you know, it's just not going to yeah. happen. So um, I don't know if, if that would ever be strictly regulated, you know? Yeah, yeah I think it's with personal training like the that's obviously somewhat kind of regulated only in that like the uk you have to have a level three within uh like a this level three like level two three four i think like they're all there is level mm -hmm. two lets you like on the gym floor level three you can actually coach people but i know different countries have different ways and different levels and whether or not they even need the levels but i have seen organizations and companies coming out with at least like online training qualifications mm -hmm. that's the next step i i would imagine because the industry we probably know we could probably name like five people if we wanted to who are trying to do online coaching but aren't really necessarily getting anywhere because it's just saturated there's so many like just people because i mean like we said like everyone who's competed is now an online coach it seems or at least and um, there's a lot of people that are going down that route so how do they then get an edgeway in maybe this qualification because then it gives them some credibility so that that i think is probably going to be the next step but then it needs to come from a really big organization that is very very credible for that to be even seen i don't know it's yeah. it's a very interesting space and like pascal said it's just ever evolving it's interesting to me to see who is successful and who is not because you know you mentioned like oh you compete once and then you're a coach and you're right a lot of people do kind of follow that but you know i've you know, pretty open about that. I've not competed in a bodybuilding competition. And Pascal, I don't think you have yet, have you? No. So, and, and you are a bodybuilding coach. And so does that mean that you're doing anything wrong? I wouldn't say so, because like you're obviously informed. Now, I will say, and, and I'll admit this for myself too, there's something to be said for going through that process to truly understand what a client Absolutely. is going through, right? And so frankly, you know, when people tell me that they want to get really lean, I'm comfortable with that. When somebody says, hey, can you prep me to bodybuilding stage? I've not done that. And I do think that there are people more qualified. Now, if somebody was really pushing it, they said, look, I just I want to do it with you because X, Y, Z reason I'm very comfortable with you. After 15 years in this field, I do feel pretty knowledgeable on the topic. But again, I mean, it's, you know, Steve, you've done, has it just been one now or how many have you done? Uh, two competitive seasons. Okay. Um, but I've seen people who are very successful coaches. And by successful, I just mean um, they have a lot of clients. I, I don't know necessarily. I'm not following their entire body of work. And they haven't done a lot of their own competitions or anything like that. And some of them are good. Some of them are not. And then I've seen other people who, you know, I don't want to call them out. But I was just looking at his uh, Instagram yesterday. Really good physique. Has competed. Has competed naturally and enhanced. And he doesn't really have much of a following, you know, YouTube videos got like 50 views. Like, and like, this is a guy who looks amazing, which of course that doesn't necessarily mean that he's knowledgeable, but I'm just saying, even though he's done the competition and he is an actual personal trainer, he doesn't have so far much success with coaching. So it's just kind of interesting to see like, is it, 
you know, luck of timing and being in the right place, knowing the right people. It's just kind of interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, I mean, in, in the end, I think that many contributing factors come into play here. Uh, first and foremost, what is coaching all about, right? It's, of course, helping people uh, emphasize, uh, having some kind of empathy as well. Mm-hmm. Not just some kind, but a big portion of it is empathy, understanding what the client wants and also needs in a specific situation and then also understanding somewhat the fundamental principles of actually getting to the outcome so having good a good genetic base for yourself is of course not not a necessity of actually being a good coach it does help though because i think that going through the process and also having the passion for the sport yourself does tremendously help mm-hmm. but we also see it from other fields um especially like sports not every great coach was an athlete themselves especially like for example football right some coaches just go through that education of becoming a good coach mm-hmm. and then the experience leads the way this is something that you also see in in especially in the medical field i was just thinking about like if you want to help drug addicts it doesn't require you to have been a drug <laughs> addict before that as well to right. be able to help them, to be able to em- uh, empathize with them, to understand where they are coming from or what they have come through. The mm-hmm. education and experience makes you then a good person to treat them or to help them. And this is where I see a couple of par- uh, parallels as well to coaching, that if you have a good ability of empathy and you can somewhat understand how the person may feel in that situation i think you can come very very close and actually then understanding what they are experiencing in that giving moment does it help absolutely i think so to go through that period yourself or through that process but is it absolutely necessary i don't think so Um, and i think that some people put too much weight and emphasis on that portion and neglect the things that are truly important and those can't be neglected such as having a good understanding of basically getting to that outcome or the end result that can be accomplished in many many different ways Uh, but i think that empathy and also a good understanding of how to go there is actually definitely a requirement. Whereas going through the process yourself or having gone through having gone through the process yourself, it's not a necessity, but may just add in making things easier to understand. I think yeah, it, I, go ahead, Steve. I was just gonna say I always view it more as a bonus than a necessity because it's similar to I'm working with a competitor right now post competition, he's going through his recovery phase. And every person's different how they deal with that. And I'm very fortunate in that I find it a doddle, like, and like touch wood, I still find it a doddle. It's never been an issue for me. It's just weird. Like I just, I just continue to eat. That's a British term, isn't it, Steve? (laughs) What's that? A doddle? (laughs) Probably, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even think about it. It must be a British term. So (laughs) I just, it's just simple for me. I just, I'm like a robot. I just eat a bit more. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely things in the back of my head going on. And I'm a bit like, I have my own kind of, trials and tribulations but some people are binge eat and things like this and that's not something i've ever experienced Mm. but unless they have a true binge eating disorder i'm not referring that out and i'm trying to work with them as best as possible to get through that now do i think i needed to have binge like having gone through that struggles to be able to help them no do i think it would maybe help like a bit of a bonus probably like someone like pascal who i know has struggled with that he may even be 
even more qualified or better to be help that person, but not to the extent that I couldn't do a good job. Right. It's just he might be slightly better at being able to understand how that person's feeling in that position. So, yeah, I, and I really, really agree with Pascal saying people emphasize it too much. Mm-hmm. They just, it's just I've spoken to some very high-level coaches who have said that they've worked with some very rich, very smart individuals and it's just like they what sold them was like a flex of the bicep or the tricep because they're yeah. just like, oh yeah, you're well, you have bigger arms than me. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. go with you. It doesn't matter what your qualifications are, right. what you've done in the past, you just look impressive. It it astounds me, but I guess that's one of the stupid things humans do. <laughs> I definitely yeah, I, I would agree with all that. I think it's uh like like you said, people are gonna be different, right? And so okay, even if you've done 10 competitions. You could train somebody who has a completely different response than you do, right? Of course. I mean, their response on the way down could be different. Their response bulking back up could be different. And so your 10 competitions or your 20 competitions, did, and you see that. You see that with bad coaches who have had success themselves, and they suck as coaches, and they give really bad advice because maybe they're genetically gifted, and maybe they think that the other person isn't working hard because of that. And, well, you don't, why aren't you getting the results that I'm getting? I would much rather have somebody who has a body of work that shows their results with other people than just their own results, you know. But again, that takes some introspection and looking at, like, why do you actually care about how this person looks? And there, there's an extent, right? I mean, if, if there's a level where it's hard to know what somebody's background in, in genetics are. But if you look at somebody and they are actually obese, they're 300 pounds. I guess if they had like a hundred clients that have gotten shredded, they, maybe you'd you'd listen to that, but there's a point where it's like, okay, if you're actually obese, are you following this lifestyle at all? Right. There's a level that we expect, but as far as like, wow, is this like a top tier physique or they just have like a decent physique that to me, I think is like kind of splitting hairs and you need to look at their qualifications more, but obviously this doesn't just apply to fitness. I mean, it's funny, like um, when even when I was applying to dental school and I had people say, oh, well, you have a nice smile. That makes sense. Like as if my <laughs> nice teeth have anything to do with my ability to work as a dentist. Right. And it's obviously yeah. silly when I say that, but you'd be shocked. And, and at the same time, I think a lot of people, if they walked in and their young dentist was like had this like terrible mouth, they might be like, oh, like what's going on with that? Right. Even though that yeah. literally does not mean anything about my ability to perform the work, there is something that would go in your brain of like what's going on there, you know? Um, So I think to an extent, you have to walk the walk and you have to show that you're involved in the lifestyle. And I think that's where it comes in. And we just have different levels of that to some people, them seeing somebody who walks a walk means this guy is like blasting gear and looks amazing year round. And that's what I want. So that's what I need. So I almost can't hate on it to an extent. Like I, I understand, you know, if somebody has worked for 20 years and they have, you know, still like a very low income. Are you going to take their financial advice, even if they're credentialed? Are you going to take it? Like you might think, why you've been doing this for 20 years? Why, you know, what happened? Unless there was some weird disaster. <laughs> why don't you, why haven't you accumulated wealth if you know what you're talking about? So while we can hate on it, and I definitely think people overemphasize it, um, I do understand why it's a thing. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree to everything that you said there and brought up. And I think that this is, you basically the body and also what you represent uh, present to the outside is basically also what you represent for the brand this is at least in our field that's the case i mean if you're a mechanic or so right and you don't look like a mechanic it doesn't really matter 
right? Yeah. But especially in a field where appearance does matter. And this is, I mean, we are doing bodybuilding. People are looking at the physique, right? And you're being judged by the physique. So at least do a little bit of work to actually also represent that for the brand and also maybe have done a show. And this is something, I mean, I'm, I always wanted to compete. So I'm, I, I, I'm not saying that I only do that for the business, but now after a couple of years of having done so and being in that, that realm of working with bodybuilders, yes, it's becoming more and more important to me at least to have done it, not just for my personal development and journey, but also especially for my CV, so to speak. Yeah, I remember speaking to you, Dave, when uh, I said I had like a consultation call with Mike. I might have told Pascal the story or I might not, I'm not sure, but it ended up, he gave me some like business advice because we were talking about my physique progress and everything. And he was like, the reason you're you're doing so well, Steve, is because you have like a very good physique, but almost like attainable to mm -hmm. some individuals. And he was saying how if I was to go pro at some point, because I was, that's my ambition. I'd love to turn pro. That's like the ambition of a natural bodybuilder who's competing. Like you want to do your best. And that's kind of the top tiers to go there. And he was like, I think that might even be a detriment to your business. Like if you were to go pro, because you just seem less approachable. And that, I mean, I think I've spoken it through to you and I don't think that would ever stop me trying to do my sure. best and try and go there because I mean, that's how I'm wired. And I don't, and I'd like to think that it wouldn't have a negative impact, but it's just interesting to think that it may even. Yeah. So to stay, and like you guys said, when you're a personal trainer and especially personal trainers, like one-on-one, -on -one, you're kind of, your physique is your sales pitch yeah and there's a reason i'm like a lot of like personal trainers who do very well are in fantastic shape and unfortunately that unfortunately it is the case where people look at that before maybe knowledge but to be ignorant to it and not to realize it you will not grow as a personal trainer if you don't get that in check and also you you can't blame the customer or the ones who are consuming your products or services in the end, if you are complaining about that, then you are basically like blaming someone else for your failures or so. If you are offering a service or a product, then you need to fit the needs or the wants of the customer, mm -hmm. right? Because demand will always be there. But if you're not offering what the people are looking for, then you won't succeed as a business. So you can't blame the customers that they don't buy your product, right? If they, so let's say you are a kitchen chef and you, you are convinced that your meal is the best meal in the world, but no one else thinks that, right? Then you will go under because no one actually likes your product. It doesn't matter whether you think that's the right thing or you think that's the best meal on earth, right? You have to then actually meet the, the client maybe halfway or maybe you, you walk that lonely road at first. And then after a while, you attract some people as well, right? Because we see it all the time with those people who are personal trainers, who just do what they love to, to do. And then after a while, people are impressed by them and then they attract the the specific people they always wanted to attract or they didn't even intend to be a, a personal trainer at first but the demand was there and they saw an opportunity for themselves to benefit from that as well so yeah yeah it's a really interesting topic to me just because i it's not going to change like we sometimes we talk about things like oh you know how can we change this and we're changing the industry 
Um, I think it's awesome that we have this kind of evidence-based community. And I think it's it's certainly not futile. I think it's good, you know, people are watching us, they're hearing this message, and then that will get spread to some degree. But I, I have no illusions that, you know, one day, everybody's going to just follow the evidence and they're not going to look at the physique. And, you know, the guy with 18 inch arms isn't going to be getting more clients on average than the guy with 14 inch arms. You know, I mean, it's always going to be there. Um, I think Pascal, like you mentioned, it's, you can be upset about it, but ultimately you have to find out how you can be successful. You know, I mean, if you look at, um, I, I always feel bad because I always bring up Brad Loomis as like the bad genetics, <laughs> but I, I don't feel too bad because we've, he and I have talked about it on like on air and everything. And he's mentioned it as well, but he, I think he's a great example because he has been a successful coach. He's been, he's, I mean, he's gone pro as a natural bodybuilder. Um, but also he's been a successful coach and, you know, I don't know what his like measurements are or anything like that, but he's competes, I think in like the one fifties and. Um, he's not like a huge guy, but he's, he's done well. And I think if you can kind of show people what you've done now, where it's really going to be hard is if you haven't competed and you haven't coached people, because then it's like, what can you really show, you know, especially now with how competitive, you know, the, the market is. Um, I mean, for me, I, you know, I have a continuous small number of clients and, you know, every once in a while somebody drops off and then every once in a while people will message me and I'll take on another, you know, one or two in a month or something. Um, but it, it's, it's a low level and I'm completely fine with that because it's a point where this is enjoyable for me. It doesn't stress me out. And I mean, not in a quarantine, but normally I have a full-time job. So, um, you know, I wouldn't even be able to do it unless I were to cut back hours in my office. Yeah. But if somebody just said all of a sudden, like, Hey, you got to make this work as a full-time career that would be really tough. You know, I mean, seriously, it's like, okay, I haven't competed and, you know, I can show you before and after pictures and things like that. And, and they're good, but I'm competing with so many people online who frankly do have better physiques than me. And that's, that does have to be really tough for up and coming people trying to get into the field. Especially because it's like Steve said, um, there's so much, well, it's kind of, so saturated the field already and you're competing with the world's best. Yeah, I, I mean, because it's not just limited to your location anymore, like it is when it comes to offline PT, but now you're competing with the very best there are, right? So why should anyone go to you in, instead of someone like Team 3DMJ, like RP or so, right? Um, so this is first and foremost something that people have to understand. And then secondarily, this is something that we get asked very often on how to transition into uh, online personal training. And more and more, I'm giving the advice of like, okay, do you really want that? Do you even know what that means and what it requires? Because yes, it looks sexy from the outside, but I think that many people would be better off in offering offline PT. And yes, while it may not be as attractive, you're not working from at home, your working hours aren't as flexible, maybe you're working more so with gem pop clients in comparison to maybe the physique athlete that you want to actually coach. However, you're first and foremost gaining a lot of experience. The uh, competition is much lower. And also, you are gaining experience along with that, and you could even build up an, an online roster there with those clients that you work with offline and then transition them slowly into online personal training. And then all of a sudden, you can build your portfolio, and then you can start promoting yourself after a while with some before and after pictures. You can slowly build your business online as well, and then 
you basically have the experience, you gain the experience, you have online clients, and then you can slowly make the transitioning and give it a shot. Or maybe you come to the realization that, okay, offline is actually more so for you or yeah. better. Yeah, I think, uh, and I know, Steve, you worked as an in-person trainer for a while, right? But not anymore. Yeah, so I did. I don't even know how long it was in the end. Maybe in total, I think just less than a year, but maybe six months in or something, I was already transitioning to mm. more online sides, so just reducing my hours. Yeah. And without that, I'm not sure where. I mean, I actually, the only, I had like one client who I didn't know in person and he was like my first client, but he reached out because he saw me on YouTube and he was just like, oh, do you do online coaching? Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'll try and help you. But without that base of that kind of, they talk about it in business and I by no means try and be a businessman and, and or give any business advice, particularly just talk about my own experience, but the no like and trust, it's so true. Mm -hmm. And when you're one-on-one -on -one with people, and like these are people I was training in the gym and they were next to me and I could talk to them, they could ask me questions and then they were like, hey, can you help me a bit more? And so then I took them online and I just had, they then were my base. I just got some great results with some young guys who were really at it and then they had good before and after photos. And then that led to a referral of, like I worked with people I went to school with who I would never, I didn't really speak to at school, but they just saw that I was yeah. getting like fat loss results with some other people from school. And it was just spread in my, it was kind of local. And then it was only once I had that base and then I continued social media. I continued like my YouTube and eventually the podcast and I was doing blog writing. Then I spread to online. But I think too many people try to go from, I've got nothing, I'm going to be an online coach. And it's like, right. well, actually there's got to be some, some way of getting here. And on the point of just because it made me think about it, where like you, not everyone is going to be genetically blessed. You will have people like Brad Loomis or like us three who aren't like obscenely amazing. Say. Like we're, we're all right. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> yeah, right. No, definitely in that category. <laughs> like we work. Steve, I don't know if you're in that category anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we work. Yeah, someone said, uh, I, it was an Instagram post. Someone was like, oh, yeah, you could see your amazing genetics before you even started <laughs> lifting. I was like, that was after five years of lifting. <laughs> like, that was not from the get-go even. But regardless, people, this is why like Instagram has become so important, I think, at least like for me personally, and I think for Revive Stronger as a whole, because and even the YouTube and the improvement season, because people still buy, and this is why you're getting clients, Dave, because like there are bigger companies out there who maybe yeah. are easier to find than you, but there would be people that just want Dave because yeah. you put yourself out there, they see your personality, they've seen what you've gone through and they're like, you're the guy for me. And there will be clients and we've had like clients who have come from us from other coaches or they go to us to other coaches because yeah. you don't fit for everyone. So I do think being able to put yourself out there and give your personality as well as your knowledge and the value and everything, but there just be some people who are just like that guy, like you said, Eric Helms for you is just, that. that's yeah. the guy for me. Yeah. And there will be another guy for everyone or girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um, it's a super interesting. Like, I didn't even really plan for this to be the majority of what we talked about, but it, it's very interesting. And like, you're right. I've actually had I've had people who said that they've worked with um, a couple other known people in the industry, and not not like that they left them for anything wrong. They just felt like they really jived with me. And I mean, you know, we would talk about it, and they'd say you know, this person gave me X, but maybe, you know, I just, I liked your videos or whatever. And it is interesting to see that, you know, because some of them certainly are a lot bigger than my, their YouTube channels, bigger, their following's bigger. Um, but something clicked, maybe it's my story or my background, you know, whatever. Um, 
but I, I do find that very interesting. Now, Pascal, your future plans to compete, you want to do, you've, have you competed in powerlifting? Yes. Okay. That's, that's what I thought. Um, when is your plan to compete in bodybuilding? Uh, the Obviously, plan things are going to be, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the plan was in 2017, <laughs> the first oh, okay. time. Um, but I needed to pull the plug because I was still recovering from a hip surgery and just my life was a mess during that time. Sleep was not good. Um, eating habits weren't good as well. Lots of things were going on in my personal life. So I needed to pull that plug. And I was basically not that far away from where I'm sitting at right now in regards to body weight. And I binged my face off because it was not sustainable for me during that time. Stress levels were so high and all that kind of stuff led me uh, led to me then, yeah, binging a lot. Um, so 2018, I couldn't then, of course, uh, step on stage or do anything alike. And then I tried to, or wanted to actually compete in 2019. However, my first biological son was born, and that was all, of course, a little bit of an interference there, yeah. uh, which is good that I actually made that decision of not competing in that year. Now, looking back in hindsight, because I was first considering and doing so, and now looking back, I'm, I'm so happy that I didn't do it because I could yeah. fully commit and fully enjoy the entire process of him being born, and I would never change it for anything else and now i wanted to compete here in 2020 and yeah the the, the thing happened right the, yeah. the the c19 happened um not dragon ball z reference but more so <laughs> the the thing that may not be named here on youtube uh yeah it uh, it, it it happened, it interfered with my initial plans, and I was on a good way. I, I think I was in a good spot. I'm still in a good spot, and now it's more about, okay, planning ahead, maybe doing it in 2021. I'm not entirely certain, though, because I don't want to try it each and every single year because I, mm, I'm still yeah. convinced that I have so much more room to grow, and at some point, I need to start being committed to that and doing a very successful off-season because the... Gaining phases I've done so far, they weren't as well-structured, as dedicated as they could have been. And this is something that I would truly want to do and take the time and really plan it out and commit to it so that I can present the very best version of myself. And that's what I'm going to do. And probably I, I will take 2021 to actually make an off-season. I haven't really fully committed to that yet. And then step on stage in 2022. It also depends a little bit on what Steve is planning because we still have hopes on stepping on stage together at some point or at least do some shows together. And that still needs to go down at some point. So, yeah, it's 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 kind of reliant a little bit on what Steve is ending up doing, whether he comp competes next year or 2022. But I think he will compete next year. Gotcha. Cool. Right? Um, or what wasn't that? I, I don't know. My plan, I have set up my plan to compete next se next year. Yeah. I I think if it, I yeah, I'm pretty sure it will be next year. I could only think of something weird that happened maybe this year that meant, I don't know, maybe I completely didn't gain weight and then was just like, fuck it, I'm just going to do the finals and diet down for 10 weeks. I don't know. Yeah, next year is my target. That's what okay. I'm thinking. I wanted to do this year. Um, but obviously this year is a bit up in the air yeah in, in the uk diet down and then not be yeah all to... the qualifiers are cancelled so mm. just from a competitor standpoint 
I want to do more shows to get more experience. It's not very nice to do just like one finals and then yeah. it's just like, Phew. and then will even a man if imagine if you qualify for worlds, but then travel isn't available because right. I don't know yeah. when that's going to be available, if it will be this year or next at the moment. So yeah, I similarly did a bit of a pro and con list and this year just didn't make sense. So hoping next year. I feel so bad for the people who have really, you know, gotten contest lean and gone through all of that, especially imagine if it was like your first contest and you finally did it and you push yourself like that has just got to be awful. And then I was also had a client like this. Yeah, I, think I saw you. Uh, oh, was the guy yeah. with the big legs. You were commenting on yes. that. Yeah, dude. Yeah. It was his first I, season. He planned it like three years in advance. Yeah, like, he had committed rough. everything, and yeah, he brought elite conditioning in the, for his first time. The um, yeah, I know you guys don't really follow any like the uh, enhanced stuff, but there was who was it? I forget who they were talking about. Um, oh, you guys might have heard the guy uh, Thor, half Thor, doing the yeah. uh, deadlift record, right? And somebody made a comment that I thought was really good is that, you know, people say, oh, you know, you should wait until it's a real competition. But like this guy is probably blasting so much gear to get this strong to then put your body through that again. So for the people who are competing enhanced, it's almost worse in the sense that you're doing all this damage to your body for nothing, like literally nothing at this point. Like that is uh, to like take all that stress and everything of like, wow, I put on all this work. I'm starving and I'm damaging my body. It's just it's very rough. Um, I'm sure for everyone. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering um, whether something like Olympia is going down or not. The Mr. Olympia 2020? Yeah. I, I don't know. The thing is, I, I it's got to be different somehow because all the qualifiers are being canceled. So yeah. people aren't getting like the points and the different shows that they need. So I'm sure they might, if they have it, there's got to be some sort of exceptions. Like, you know, if you were there last year, you automatically yeah. qualify or something. I just yeah. can't imagine how that's you know, going to be fair otherwise. Um, Steve, you mentioned, I, I did remember what I was trying to think of before, how Mike had told you that it might be a detriment if you went pro. And, and I don't know, I don't know, obviously, the whole context of the conversation. But in your case, I can't imagine because because you have your whole journey documented, you've been doing this for a while, and it's been out there. So people could kind of see that process, you know, and sure. it's how it's been this slow journey up. So they'll see, oh, somebody with maybe average, maybe slightly above average, but really who knows uh, genetics and how they've gotten there and, and they've gone pro. I think the fact that you suddenly got this card isn't going to make you, it, I, I can't imagine it would actually hurt your business, you know. Um, but it is interesting. That, yeah, if you were to come into it and you really had amazing genetics, that might be less relatable. Um, and then, you know, Pascal, I, I actually liked what you said about the you know, maybe personal training in person is a better idea for you. And for a lot of people, it probably will be. It might be what they just do indefinitely. You know, not everybody's going to be able to switch to online coaching. Um, I think there's nothing wrong with having it be just something that you primarily do in person and having a couple of clients online. I mean, like that's how many people who do online coaching have other full-time jobs in or out of the field? I mean, that's me. That That's plenty of people. Um and if you don't have that, where like you said, Steve, where does your base come from, right? Like, I have a base of people that I've helped, but I've been doing this since I was like 12 years old. So yeah, you know, I have Facebook conversations from like 2009, where I'm helping friends out, and I'm still like giving them advice. And I have their before and after pictures. And over the years, I helped people in college, and I had some people in dental school, and I worked at a gym in dental school. And so even though I might be a relatively new online coach i've been helping people online for a while i mean when, when i first posted some before and after pictures one of the first like new clients i got was somebody i went to high school with 
And I'd known him and I had given even like friends of his advice, but it wasn't until, you know, it was on an online platform that it really started to build up more. Um, but yeah, you got to get your base somewhere. So I think a lot of people see it and they're just like quick to jump into it. It's like, man, you're probably gonna have to work and do stuff. I mean, Jeff Alberts was in a full-time career in another field until he met the other 3DMJ guys. So, um, you know, not to like <laughs> break anybody's dreams, but <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not like, oh, snap my finger. I'm an online coach. And I think that this is somewhere where the problem stems from, that people want those quick success stories and they aren't willing to put in the work and effort. And also the, the question could be made in regards to, okay, what is it that you actually want? Do you want to help people? Why can't you do it offline? Right? So I know I've worked offline, Steve has worked offline, and I can't see myself going back into that setting anymore because I love what I'm doing. Right, I know it's it's different to offline PT, but at the same time, the core principle is helping people getting to their desired outcome. So why can't you do it offline then? Is it something that you don't like in doing? Is it something that you have a different perception on? Right. So there's I don't know if you ever read the the book. Um, there's a lot of not giving a fuck where he talks about he always wanted to be a professional musician, mm -hmm. but he rather liked the thought of being that professional musician instead of the journey that actually takes him there. The All the hard work, all the sleeping on the floor, all the gigs in front of like one or two people, all the hours in the studio, he didn't like that thought of actually putting in that much work and effort. But those people who are very passionate about that, they love and embrace that journey. And the end goal is just a nice byproduct of all the hard work and dedication they've put into it all. And that's basically how I see personal training as well. That if you if you just like the idea of you being an online personal trainer and having success there, probably that, that is not the, the, uh, the, the field for you. If you just like the compelling idea of you standing at the top, because what you should enjoy is the journey towards that top. Yeah. Do you uh, do you guys know? Uh, do you guys watch the Marvel movies like the Avengers and all that stuff? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm a huge fan. And uh, Chris Evans, who plays Captain America, uh, you know, well, I don't want to spoil anything, but um, I was joking how like you know, oh, I could be like the next Captain America. You know, I've got like the beard like him. We have the <laughs> yeah. same birthday. I'm just like, I'm exactly ten years younger than him. And uh, his dad is a dentist. So I'm like, you know, there's a lot of <laughs> things here. Um, <laughs> so if you're watching Chris Evans, sign me up. But, you know, does the idea of if they're like, hey, Dave McConey, for whatever reason, we want you to be in this Marvel movie. Of course, I'd be like, yeah, put me in there. But if they're like, actually, you're going to start and do some like basic acting classes. And then you're going to do some like really crappy films. Then you're going to do some really crappy plays that are kind of embarrassing. And then you're going to go through like 20 years of stuff and just be like struggling along to maybe, you know, one in 10, but not even one in 10, one in like a hundred or thousand chance of actually like making it big. Does that idea sound cool to you? Do you still want to be an actor now? It's like, no, I definitely don't want to do that. You yeah. know, the journey does not sound appealing at all. It's like the whole, it's like you said, it's standing at the end, you know, it's, it's having all that glory and everything. And that applies, I think, to a lot of people with actors, with um, athletes, you know, with celebrities and, and influencers and all that stuff. And, um, you know, 
I like you guys doing the improvement season because, like you said, Pascal, it's kind of like you guys just talking. And the, the podcast that I've had with you, Steve, and, and Jacob, and Abel, and now Pascal, you, it's kind of, this is more conversational. You know, these aren't these, mm-hmm. like, huge, like, this is the question, here's our exact answer. We're kind of just talking, and I've been able to enjoy the journey of this. You know, if I ever have 100,000 people listening to my podcast, that would be great. But, like, I've already I met up with um, Greg Knuckles, Eric Trexler, Mike Israel. Like, I've gotten to meet people and make these connections, and that's been enjoyable for me. And if I get, you know, any sort of, I don't know, Instagram stardom. That's cool, I guess. But, you know, it's kind of whatever. Um, so I think it's a great point, Pascal. Yeah, That's I think... basically how Steve started the podcast as well. Yeah. Yeah, actually it was. I started it because I wanted to talk to, at the time, this is going way back. I had, I don't know if you even know Mark Newcomb. We did some podcasts together uh, because he was the first coach who I brought on the team initially. Mm. And he's a great guy. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for his life circumstances just didn't work with that and then it was like we were just having the discussions like me and Pascal have answering questions talking to each other because I wanted to get him more exposure and then I started interviewing I just brought a mic because there was some questions left over from a seminar and so then I just was like do you mind doing a Q&A and after it Mike was like do you want to do this more often and it was funny because I'd already asked I don't know like Charlotte or something I was like I really want to do more of those with Mike it was really good <laughs> yeah. so we both were like yeah let's do this and then we were doing that it grew my confidence to then want to bring other people on and i just enjoyed having the conversations and sharing knowledge and now the podcast is like huge for us it's like content production across the board for me and pascal is like almost half our job is like making sure we're putting out high quality content because that's essentially what builds the business builds up kind of clients and i think a lot of online coaches won't realize that they're just like oh yeah i can take on like 60 clients it's like yeah how are you going to get those 60 and then how are you going to retain them through other meat, like there's just so much that goes into building from the ground up, like Pascal said, uh, and like you said, for like various careers, it's just, yeah, people don't realize. I don't know if you remember the first time we ever talked, Steve, but I reached out to you on Facebook, which it's crazy to me that that was now a year and a half ago, but um, I had known Scott Stevenson for a while and you had then had him on the podcast and I am like a fanboy of Scott Stevenson and Eric Helms. And I said, you know, would you consider like having them on together? And you're like, oh, I'm thinking about doing something like that. And then like a month or two went by and you, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. <laughs> so, because <laughs> I, I never known, did it. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I had known them. I, I knew Eric and I knew, I mean, I know Eric, but like I talked to Eric and I did know Scott. Um, and I just thought like, I think I'm, I'm going to do this. And I was like super pumped about it. And obviously, you know, there's that initial, like, this is the best idea ever. And then I was like, oh wait, there's actually a lot of work. <laughs> but, um, but that's kind of how it started. It was like, I'm, I, I want to talk to these people anyway. So why not record it and put it out there and just make it helpful for other people? Yeah. That's, I've said it to, and I think we both flag it up to each other. Um, if there was things within what we're doing day to day, we didn't enjoy, we'd, telling one another and so we kind of have our kind of roles within the business and we both enjoy what we're doing but there's things like I, I ran the mini cup movement like group coaching years ago and I, I just didn't enjoy it so I didn't want to invest into it and I've said to Pascal and like hopefully well yeah it doesn't really matter like you probably had it as well you do some podcasts and sometimes you just it wasn't bad you just didn't enjoy yeah. it that much and I had like I don't know there was a period of time where I was just like in a bit of a rut with it and then I'm like, okay, actually, like I bring on this person, I have really mm-hmm. good rapport with them. They make the best, best podcasts as well. You probably yeah. agree, like when you can actually talk to someone and really enjoy it. And it's making sure you stick to enjoying those things. Because even if something was going to make us like really rich, we wouldn't do it if we didn't enjoy it. Because 
it, it probably wouldn't make us really rich because we wouldn't put our best into it. Right, right. Awesome stuff, guys. So obviously, I think anybody listening at this point knows where they can find you, but why don't you tell them anyway? <laughs> Go ahead, Steve. We are revivestronger.com is our website, so they can find the podcast. Um, we have various articles on there and also our members area, which is kind of new and growing, which is exciting where, yeah, we're bringing on various experts to talk about topics and we have a forum and things. So that's really cool, that growing community. And then Pascal is Pascal underscore floor. I should probably let Pascal do that's that right. on Instagram. That's right. <laughs> and I'm uh, Revive Stronger on Instagram. I, I could never change mine now, could I? Because there's too many links out there and everyone would I'd be <laughs> yeah. lost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was thinking that the other day. Can't be at Steve Hall. Who's that? <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Anything, any uh, closing words, Pascal, or did Steve cover it? Uh, no, I just want to say thank you very much for having us on. And it's been a pleasure. And it's been a while. So, even more so, an honor to be once again re invited <laughs> to the podcast. And yeah, that's basically my last words here. Great stuff, guys. Thank, Thank you, you Dave.